Manchester City Continental Cup winners 2022. Hello and welcome back to the start of a brand new season with MCW Fancast. I'm Emma, thanks for listening. The Women's Super League returns this weekend after last weekend's games were suspended as football paused for a period of mourning for Her Majesty the Queen. Ahead of the start of the season, we are pleased to welcome back to the podcast Dan Pentland from the FAWSL Full-Time Magazine for our season preview and we'll be answering some of your questions as well. So let's get stuck straight in. I'm Lauren Hemp and you're listening to MCW Fancast. Dan, thank you so much for joining me for this season preview. Great to welcome you back on the podcast. How's your summer been? <laughs> busy. Very, very busy. Euros. Doesn't feel like the players, it doesn't feel like we've had a rest. Um, so yeah, I'd be happy to have holiday at some point, to be honest. But yeah, back again. I'd tell you to get one in, but <laughs> Then you're going to be running out of time. Yeah, it's hectic. Really, yeah. really hectic. Coverage of the Euros, absolutely fantastic throughout. Um, dream end to the to the campaign as well. Um, was it everything you'd hope it would be and more? Well, England won, so that's a starter. <laughs> England definitely won. They brought it home. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, the standard of football in particular across the board was really, really good. I don't think we saw a lot of mis- what you would class as kind of crazy mistakes or, you know, farcical games. I don't think there was one. Um, you know, even some of the lesser nations in the tournament played really well, really nice football. So, you know, obviously the crowds came and not just England. You know, if you went to the games, you saw obviously the Dutch, Swedish, you know, everywhere you went, there was fans of every nation supporting the team, which was really, really good. So, you know, it was just a festival of football overall and a huge success. And obviously the cherry on the top was was England winning. But yeah, what a fantastic experience for, for England and, you know, all of our fans, really. Heading into the tournament, Dan, obviously, with the coverage that you provided, did you believe that England could have gone all the way and did it play out the way that you thought it might? I did fancy them. I fancied them because of the, the coach. Obviously, we've got a world-class coach, possibly the best coach in the world. Um, so, you know, when, when she gets to two major finals on the spin, you've always got a, a chance of her getting to the third one. Um, yeah, I mean, she had a plan. She stuck with it throughout regardless, and it worked. Um, did it go the way that I thought it would? I think my concern was that Spain game, or whoever we would reach in the quarterfinals was something that had concerned me, and I think obviously it was was we did need Tooney to come up with a, a goal late on to save us in that one. But, yeah, I think the group panned out as you'd maybe expect. Obviously, Norway were a lot weaker than we thought they were going to be. Um, quarterfinal was tough. Semi-final, I think we just smashed Sweden at the end of the day. I think, you know, it wasn't Sweden weren't great, but I think we were just excellent on the day. And then the final at Wembley, you know, I think we've sent out a message, not just to football, but, you know, to all sports, you know, whether it be rugby, cricket, you know, tennis, whatever that, you know, the England should be proud of the, the you know, the, the sports people. And, you know, it, it gives everybody kind of a big kind of boot to say, come on, you know, we want successful English sports people and, and athletes, really. So, yeah, I don't think it's just about the men going to Qatar in, in November. I think it's about, 
you know, English or British sport as a whole. How do you see, obviously, the summer now translating, you know, looking ahead now to the start of the season and getting fans through the turnstiles and, and filling the seats and, and filling stadiums? I think it, the early signs are positive. I don't think it's every club. I think every club have probably got a surge, but some surges in ticket sales and that sort of thing are higher at some clubs than others. Um, so, you know, obviously you want growth across the leagues. So it's maybe a bit of a challenge at trying to grow it at some of the clubs where it's maybe not quite as popular. So, you know, there's work to be done in that sense. Um, I've been first couple of rounds of the championship and the crowd's pretty decent. But again, there's a lot of trial and error, you know, I think... For example, I think I went to Durham and Sunderland and it was a derby game and they marketed it really, really well and sold you know, over 1,500 tickets, I think. But then I went to the Stadium of Light the week after where they kind of trialled a, a double header with the men's and everybody went home after the men's game and it was a bit of a disaster. So I think some things will work, some things won't work. Um, I think it's important that we try different things. Um, I don't think necessarily selling it directly to the men's supporters is going to work I just think we need to work out how we get people who have maybe got a general interest in in women's football to kind of come out and actually watch the games in the stadiums but yeah it's it's going to be an interesting season this one it's been a bit of a from a same perspective I mean we're going to look at you know clubs on a whole and you know what you're expecting from other teams in the league but obviously for City you know we've started off we rounded off last season podcast saying that you know Regardless of what happened, you know the city city would look uh, a bit of a, a different team from the start of the season, and and that has obviously come to fruition. We've lost, you know, four players, key players, players that had offered a lot, a lot of longevity um, to the squad, and and obviously things are looking different. But then, you know, we have had a good summer. We have brought in lots of you know seasoned international uh, credible players which, you know, is something to look forward to and is quite exciting. But how do you look at um, and summarise the the summit that, you know, Gareth Taylor has had and, and those players that we've lost and the, the players that we've brought in? Yeah, I think um, let's split it in half. I mean, the departures, obviously, the club have lost a lot of British players. Um, the club have notoriously brought in a lot of British players to develop, particularly you know, really young players from other clubs in the Super League. Um, it hurts when a, when a player leaves, regardless of if it's City or, you know, anywhere. It, it hurts to me when we lose a big player to another league because you kind of think, well, you know, what are England not offering? And, you know, for a long time, that was America. And I kind of feel that some of the American players or the players playing in America are a bit more kind of intrigued by the English technical game now. And maybe that threat's gone away, but it feels like, you know, there's an awful lot of competition in Europe and, you know, particularly from Spain, as we've seen. And, um, yeah, it's not great losing players to Spain. Don't know the circumstances behind it. You know, it, it might be player-driven. It, it could be something else. There might be, be be lessons to learn from it. You know, the league and clubs are having to deal with different challenges all the time. What was a challenge last year might be a completely different one this year. So, um, yeah, it's disappointing to lose some of our best players, particularly English players as well, to to overseas because I'd, I'd really like them to develop and shine over here and make our league even better. So, yeah, that's disappointing. Um, on the other side of it, I mean, the players City have brought in, it opens a new door for me, you know, probably financially as well because they've brought in a lot of overseas talent and, you know, it's going to sell the club 
you know, more to the Spanish league. I think you've got a South American, which opens up a brand new market potentially in, in terms of, you know, generating interest from, you know, Venezuela and, you know, over in South America. I think you've got, obviously, Yui Hasegawa's just come to the club again. Japanese, that's going to open up doors possibly in Asia in terms of revenue, maybe. Um, you know, I'll go back to it, but it's probably similar how the, the early stages of the Premier League were. Or, you know, if you go back to around late 90s, early 2000s, when there was an influx of foreign stars into the, the league and, you know, it kind of really kicked off, I think, both on and off the pitch. It feels like there might be a little bit of that at City this season. And, you know, we're seeing it around the league too. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think you've signed some good players. Um, you know, I think you filled some holes. Midfield's still a concern for me. Losing Kira Walsh and Carolyn Wee, there's, there's two two big pairs of boots to fill there. And, you know, whether there's enough quality in there is another question. But, yeah, the players he's brought in, you know, the different, it goes against maybe the, the previous kind of strategy, if you like. And, you know, City have got players now, you know, representing countries across the continent and you know that can surely only be a good thing for the league as long as the you know the next generation of young English players get their opportunities as well. City have always been keen to to kind of develop that sort of youth um in terms of like coming through the academy, you know, taking on young players, you know, like hemp and developing those players and I think that's a, a something City do well and I think it's a formula that I think still will kind of translate through this squad and you know, looking ahead to the future and establishing those players as, you know, hopefully a new set of core players, if you like. But the formula in terms of obviously, as you kind of alluded to, in terms of English players and it, this squad has now got a bit of a more international feel to it. You know, we've had our international players, absolutely, but just sort of growth in terms of the, the players that have come in representing different countries is so different and and how do you see that obviously translating through in terms of like the way City play and do you think that's going to have some sort of impact in terms of those sort of players coming into the league for the first time adjusting to that environment adjusting to that culture you know where we've seen some you know Bunny you know speak previously about sort of like really struggling to settle in at the beginning do you think that's going to become a bit of a, a bit of an issue or do you think that these players are season professional enough to to be able to adapt uh, from the off. It's going to be interesting. I think what's the the first thing I'd say is that the Spanish players don't speak very good English, so they're going to have to learn that. But they've come in numbers. You know, you've got three players there. I think two are Spanish, and the other ones come from the Spanish leagues. So, you know, these players will know each other quite well. And you know, if if they're struggling, they've got each other to lean on. Yeah. Um, likewise with Mary Fowler, young kid from Australia, long way from home, but. You know, again, she's got a lot of Australian national team players either at the club or around the league who she can lean on as well. Um, Kirsten Kasparaj is obviously Dutch and, you know, they're, they're kind of already adapted, I think, to... It's, it's almost in the bones, I think, that they're kind of adapted to the English game. So I don't... I, th- I think she's already said how much she loves it in Manchester as well. So, um, yeah, I think some players might take a little bit of time to bed in. Um, style of football might be a little bit different. I, th- I don't think the forward line's probably going to change an awful lot, but you know maybe you might see a few differences in defence or in mid- certainly in midfield. It feels very different in terms of the players who'll be lining up in there. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see because it, as I say, it feels like a change in direction. It's there might be some initial pain with that the fact that City have lost so many 
you know, British players and replace them with completely different players. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it, how it kind of pans out across the season. And, um, you know, the one thing I'd say is it hasn't done Chelsea any harm, has it, from, from what they've done with their multinational squad probably over the last five or six years. Do you think that we've almost looked at sort of like the likes of Chelsea, the likes of Arsenal, and obviously seen that it works for them? Is it something that maybe we need to, is it sort of like, do you see it as a bit of a fresh approach maybe in terms of thinking, you know, we've done done it this way for so long, maybe we need to try something else? I think, yeah, I think it's a bit of a merry-go-round, I think, because we know that Chelsea, and I don't want to offend any City fans here, but we know that Chelsea are currently the most successful club in the league. They're probably the biggest kind of brand in terms of a club internationally in the league because of all the different players they've got, Sam Kerr and Vanilla Harder, you know, they've got world-class players from across the continent. Um, you know, their, their sell worldwide is probably bigger than anybody else. So that in terms of City and Arsenal and Man United and Spurs and so on, they're probably the team to develop towards. That's probably the next step that clubs want to get that strength both on and off the field. Um, and, you know, for Chelsea, it's probably more of a case that, you know, that they're they're really targeting that, you know, top, well, you know, to win the Champions League and be kind of the major European force is probably the next step on, on their development. So, yeah, I think a lot can be learned from Chelsea. I think they probably are getting quite a lot of, a fi- of kind of, a kind of financial input, I suppose, from from their owners. And, you know, sooner or later, if we're talking about self-sufficiency, that's going to have to be pulled away a little bit. But, you know, if, if they're a global brand, sooner or later, if they do it right, they should be self-sufficient, hopefully, you know, whether that's in the next five or 10 years. And I'd hope that a lot of clubs follow that model and, um, you know, get a lot of success. But yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting few years this for City because it feels like there's a, maybe a new era and, you know, maybe a new direction that the club need to take to move forward and, and get to the the level that they want to get both in England, in Europe, you know, maybe also in the world. It's, re- it's really hard because obviously you come off the back of the summer. It's obviously, it's been quite difficult for some fans, you know, they, they struggle to come to terms with the fact that we have lost so many important players. And, you know, there there is a part of you that, you know, struggles to deal with that. But then you have to, you know, teams and clubs, you know, not just City, but other teams as well, you, you know, do go through these transitional phases. And you look at last season, I think, you know, it was relatively disappointing, you know, especially the first half of the season, you know, and, and obviously similarly, we start the season in the same sort of vein as obviously being knocked out of the Champions League, you know, which is really disappointing, especially when, you know, we worked so hard for that third place finish, you know, to almost throw it away, really, you know, so early on. And, you know, that's going to be disappointing, but you don't want to look at that and see that as, you know, a bit of a headache to carry into the the start of the season either. Yeah, I mean, we we had that last year, didn't we, with obviously injuries played a part as well, but, you know, going up the Champions League so early was massive kick in the teeth and you know it took City a long time to recover from that to get players back again it's going to be a difficult season this one because players aren't getting rest you know you've got and you know obviously City have got less English players this time but 
you know, they've they played Olympics, they've played a full Super League season, they might have had, you know, 25, 30 game seasons, they've then got to the international teams for camps pre-Euros, pre a lot oh. of the players have had long long Euro campaigns, and then, you know, fortnight off and they're straight back into training, and there's, there's no end to the cycle because it's the World Cup again next year, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be another challenging period, um, you know, in terms of the treatment room and, you know, on the training ground, because surely players are going to get tired, going to get injured. They're going to have to really manage player load at, at every club, not just City. But yeah, you obviously don't want that nightmare scenario that you had last year where you've got a lot of players picking up injuries. And, you know, that that's a danger and it's a danger across the league. So, yeah. yeah, I think going out the Champions League, it, it, it feels very similar to last year in terms of they're out the Champions League and, you know, it's it's managing the player welfare again because I think, you know, if, if you, there's there's obviously bad luck that you could pick up injuries. Like, you know, so you had a lot of bad luck last year with Esme Morgan injury and, you know, that sort of thing. But, yeah, managing the player load is going to be really, really interesting because, you know, if you pick up injuries and, you know, if you're short in a particular area, then, you know, clubs are gonna gonna kind of get bitten. I think. Yeah, I mean, you spoke about sort of Esme Morgan there. I mean, it's you know almost like we're getting a new player in the fact that she's back and she's with the squad. And you know, obviously, she did feature in those sort of Champions League games too. So it's great to see her back uh, and available for selection. You know, and also Chloe Kelly as well, who didn't have a full season. You know, she come back from serious injury. She's shone in the the Euros too, and you know, she's gonna probably have a, a an excellent season with City too. Yeah, I think there's there's some real bright points for me. I think, as you say, Morgan will come back. She should be relatively fresh, um, ready to prove an awful lot. Um, obviously, Steph's coming back as well. You know, we, we had a summer of recovery and, and Chloe, you know, hopefully she'll be well managed and, you know, she'll be able to slip into the team. Um, you know, it, it's just a balance. On the other side of it, you look at Lauren Hemp, who's a player who's been used an awful lot. And I thought she had a good Euros, but... You know, maybe, I don't know whether it's a case that maybe she needs to develop a little bit more in terms of how she stands out in those big, really big European games or, you know, big club um, club games. Um, or whether she's just had so much football, but, you know, they're going to have to be really careful with her. She's a great player, but we don't want her to be burnt out or, you know, she's, she's got to be managed so, so carefully. So, you know, there's, there's some players who will come in who are really fresh and they will be like new signings and, you know, as I say, my concern is just these players who've played, you know, maybe four, five, six games at the Euros on the back of a full season going into another one. It's it's a problem for a lot of clubs, I think. But yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the players coming in, City can be really pleased about those really who are coming in nice and fresh and hopefully ready to prove a point. And there are a lot of players as well that you forget that we've got, you know, players like Angledal that probably haven't played anywhere near as enough minutes for the for the quality of player that they are essentially this could be a big season for those types of players as well you know Bunny Shaw you know she's going to get obviously an opportunity there with obviously Ellen White retiring to step in and and actually you know those minutes that she she was looking for you know and and become you know essentially a, a, an important part of the team. I expect this to be up there this year with me Demar and Sam Kerr you know, in, in terms of top of the goal scoring charts, I mean, she she did really well last year, but, you know, she's playing week in, week out this year. And, you know, again, she hasn't had a Euros, so hopefully she'll be quite fresh. But, yeah, I'd expect her to be right up there, you know, topping those, the goal charts, really. Um, you know, she's a great player. 
She's obviously physical as well. She's a great kind of out and out number nine, um, a great replacement for Ellen White. You know, you could have argued she should have had more minutes last year. You look at the players either side of her, and you know they're they're on the day they're world class as well. So you know there's there's absolutely kind of no concerns about the um the forward line. I don't think I think um you know Bunny should be a really great player. But again, it's just making sure that the management's right so that you know if she's the top player that City can hang on to her and hopefully if she has a great season, you know the club are in a position that if they get an outstanding bid for her that, you know, hopefully they're able to fend it off and she commits the future to the club for the long term. Okay, so forward line looks good. Back line looks all right. <laughs> what about the midfield, Dan? <laughs> Obviously losing Carolyn Weir and Kira Walsh is, well, I mean, can you lose two bigger players really? Um you know, obviously we don't know the reason behind it. I'm not even going to speculate on that. So I think, as you say, there's opportunity now because there's players who can probably slot into that midfield who haven't had minutes previously and, you know, go out there and make a name for yourself. You know, they're at the club for a reason. They're on the payroll for a reason. So, you know, it's time to pull your socks up and, and dig deep, really. Um, I think Hasegawa is an excellent addition. I think she's an underrated player in the league. Really, really tidy feet. You know, she's she's quick. Not there's not much of her, but you know every every inch of her is absolute class, really. So, you know, I, I think it was a clever signing when you lose Kira Walsh for twenty four hours of the transfer window to go. If you're going to sign somebody, it's got to be somebody of real quality if you can. And yeah, I think Gareth's got pretty much the best that he could have. Um, and it sounds from what um you were saying that she wants to play a part, you know, across the midfield really, both deep and and in attack. So it'd be interesting to see what she offers. But I was impressed with her at West Ham. Obviously, she scored against City last season. Um, but yeah, I just think she's a quality player. And I mean, I don't get on YouTube really and watch some of the clips because in pre-season she's been on absolute fire with some of the goals she's scored. Really, really good goals. The opposition's questionable, but you know, she she's got real talent, I think, and you know, with the right leadership. And uh, coaching, I think she could be one of the top midfielders in the league. Obviously, everyone's talking about Kira Walsh at the moment, so obviously we can't not mention it on the podcast. Kira, it's just so hard to talk about because Kira has been so loyal and she's an unbelievable player. And she's always been one of those players that has has been well-respected. And, you know, Nick Cushion obviously has always spoke so highly of her, fans speak so highly of her, a lot of opposition fans are now speaking obviously highly of her because of the impact and, and her contributions in the Euro as well. She's she's getting a bit more of that recognition that she so, is so deserving of, um, in my opinion. I've always said, you know, she's one of those players that just plays beyond her years and she's an incredible player to watch. You know, if you're not if you're not kind of in the stadium watching her live, I don't necessarily feel that you get a real feel for it, Kara Walsh and what she actually brings to a game um, and how controlled she is in, in terms of her ability uh, when she's on the ball and how she pulls the strings and, you know, she just opens up the game for you. She is a, a, a big loss and she will be a big loss for City, but she's going to have, a, she's got an unbelievable future ahead of herself. A player like that, you know, you only wish her the very, very best because she's so deserving of it. Um, and you couldn't ask, literally ask for anything more from a player like Kira Walsh, who's pretty much given everything to the club. But how much of a miss 
do you think she'll be to obviously City next season? Yeah, I mean, she's a she's a huge loss. You can't, you know, we can say whatever we want, but, you know, losing Carolyn Weir was a big loss. Losing uh, Lucy Bronze was a big loss. But when you lose Kira Walsh, that's probably the most painful one. Um, you know, that that's not being critical of anybody, but it is a huge loss. I don't think anybody wanted Kira Walsh to go. Um, as you say, it goes with everybody's wishes. It's a great opportunity. She's going to play it for a club who got to the Champions League final last year. They won the Champions League the year before. So, you know, it's not as if she's she's swapping City for a, a club where she might struggle to win anything. You know, from joining Barcelona, you know, I don't want to say guarantee success, but, you know, you, you're going to be challenging for trophies all the time and big ones at that. So, um, yeah, it's a huge loss. Um I just want to see, and it's it's not just City this, I just want to see the the league grow and the clubs in the league grow so that they've got more defence of this situation. Um, you know, as I said about Chelsea being kind of a multinational kind of this big global brand now and they're just growing and growing and growing. You know, if Chelsea got a bid for a Sam Kerr or somebody like that, they might be in a position to bat that away, but if Arsenal got a bid for a big player, I mean, you know, they've they've quite they've impressed us this year, Arsenal, because they've retained a lot of their players. So it shows that, you know, in terms of what they're building there, they're they're on the right track. Maybe they need to be a bit more aggressive in the transfer market in terms of the the finance the financial side of it. But you know, again, they're maybe moving forward, and you know, for City and United and Spurs. I just want them to grow, you know, into the point that if they're getting bids for players, whether it be a top player or whether it be a player that they really want to retain, that they're in a position to be able to retain them on, you know, good contracts and, you know, be able to say no to offers and, you know, offer the player something to stay in terms of, you know, what the league's providing. And, you know, I don't think it's anything negative on City or any of the other clubs. I think it's just that the, the league's got to grow. And I think... You know, we launched this full-time league in 2018. We've had COVID. We've had a, you know, we're, we're now in an economic crisis. And, you know, it, when you're trying to, to to sell a full-time product and get the investment in, you know, clubs are going to need time to get that on board. And if, if we're looking to make clubs, you know, self-sufficient in the long term, that then, you know, the money's got to filter in from somewhere. And we've only had a Barclays deal, obviously, for, for a year now. So, you know, over time... You know, the, I'd like to see the top four or five clubs in the league be kind of financially solid and, you know, be able to be more aggressive than defensive sometimes in the transfer market. But at the minute, it feels like we've maybe only got one, one and a half clubs in that situation. Um, I don't think, you know, it, it possibly feels tough at City at the minute, but I don't think it's just City. I think, you know, again, I think Manchester United might have problems in the future if they're, you know, they're trying to keep hold of the top stars, you know, Spurs and so on and so on. So, you know, I think it just needs time. I think City fans just, it's very tough. I think you've just got to stick in there and, you know, give it two or three years and just see if the club are in a, a better position in terms of how they deal in the transfer market over time. But I think it's just time. I don't, you know, I think, you know, management and that sort of thing, you can't really go into that. I think it's just time and this full-time product and, where we want in all of our clubs to be in terms of growth. I mean, again, you said about crowds this season and, you know, we've had seasons without any money through the turnstiles. So, yeah, see what the future holds. It's tough now, but I'd like to see, 
the top half of our league structure be really, really strong, you know, in terms of what we're dealing with in the future. There has to come a point as well, though, where we do start to have the conversations about when are we going to see that expansion of the WSL and the championship? You know, when is it going to come? Because it almost feels like we're, we are leading up to it. We're getting there. But in order for it to, to truly go, I think we that's something that we need to see happen as well. And, and we've spoke about it before. But when do you feel that really realistically those next steps might come? I think in terms of the expansion of the leagues, it feels like we're pretty much ready now, to be honest. You know, you've got, there's aggression in that second tier. There's aggression. There's clubs wanting to openly invest in the teams and build Super League teams. Um, so, you know, in terms of developing the league from 12 clubs to 14 and making it a bigger competition and bigger games, you know, I think that can happen. I think it's a huge mistake this year, and I don't know if there's going to be any change to it, but I think it's a huge mistake having one up, one down from the Championship, as we saw last year. How can you win the Northern League and the Southern League and only one of those teams get promoted? So, yeah, I think there's work to do on the structure, but it kind of feels like we're ready. We should be taking it in, in our stride now to grow the league. Um, and, you know, that again, that's only going to surely attract the interest, you know, both in terms of fans through the turnstiles and, you know, that financial interest as well. It, it feels like it does need to grow, um, you know, not, not hugely, but, you know, a couple more clubs in, in either league, I don't think would go amiss. Let's just look at the oppositions then this season, Dan. I mean, obviously we spoke at length at City and how awesome has been, but how do you summarise everybody else's uh, windows and who is, do you feel have made the best moves this uh, this summer? Yeah, it's been an interesting one because, you know, some clubs have been really active. Obviously, City have, you know, we've, we've said about City, Chelsea have obviously had a bit of an exodus of long, long-standing players at the club in the summer, but I think they've signed real quality as well coming back in, which is a sign of their strength. Um, Arsenal have been a bit quiet, so it'll be interesting to see how they compare against, you know, two kind of new-look teams, if you like, in Chelsea and City this year. Um, obviously, Man U have signed a lot of players, so it'll be interesting to see what Mac does there with those. Um, and then, yeah, you've got a few kind of wild cards. I think Villa have, Villa have signed some really good players. Yeah. You know, when you bring Rachel Daly in, you know, when I thought she was so impressive going into that Euro campaign, you know, they, they obviously mean business. I think Cal has done quite well there. Kirsty Hansen's gone there today as well. Not had a lot of minutes for Man United, but I think she scored goals when she's played as well. So, yeah, I think Villa might be a standout. Spurs again. And, yeah, you got one or two wild cards in there. Brighton have had quite a, a large turnover of players. How's that going to go? You've got the new manager situation at West Ham. And, you know, they've they've signed some experience, but then they've also signed a lot of young players as well. So, you know, are they going to rise to the challenge or are they going to struggle in the league? And, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think there's, you know, there's been a lot of change, a lot of investment. And, um yeah, some clubs will obviously achieve a lot and some might underachieve. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. But I, I don't think I see a change to the top three this season. I think that's one thing I'd say. I just don't think there's another club which is there yet. Yeah, I mean, you've spoke about Villa there. Um, I'm excited to see what they can bring this season. I, I think that, like you said, they've brought in some really strong additions to the squad and I, and I definitely feel that they'll be a little bit more progressive, I think, as a team this season. Uh, but what do you think about Leicester? Because I, I'm kind of on the fringes with Leicester at the moment. I'm not too sure. 
Do you feel do you feel they've done enough? In terms of recruitment, no, I don't. I, there's there's one club for me, and sorry, any Leicester fans or any Leicester players or even the Leicester manager if she's listening. But yeah, <laughs> I don't think um, she. Uh, I'll just caveat that one. But um, yeah, there's there's one club which for me sticks out like a sore thumb at the bottom of the league in terms of they struggled last year. How much of the strength in this year? And it's Leicester. I think they brought one or two experienced players in, which was important. Um, but, you know, you're kind of looking at it. They've just come up and, you know, you're going to sign maybe seven players, eight players. And I think they've ended up with three or four. So, yeah, they're, they're the obvious ones to stick out, to say, well, hang on a minute. They look a lot weaker than everybody else. Granted, there's one or two teams above who've lost a lot of players and there's been a lot of turnover and there's, you know, by no means is it going to work for them. But, um, the only thing I'd say in defence of Leicester is um, the coach. I think the coach shines so brightly when you speak to her that she's in complete, kind of complete control of and belief of what she's doing there. I think, you know, I was speaking to her last week and she said about, you know, how they're looking to be more physical and she took them on all these kind of, you know, physical kind of training camps over the summer. But she was really kind of sure of the job that she was doing there and the ability that she had at the club. Um, comes across as kind of such an intelligent, highly rated kind of young coach that, you know, maybe she's the difference. Obviously, she came in and turned things around last year. Um, so, yeah, they are a very, very interesting um, bunch at Leicester because on paper, you can't not fancy them to struggle because of the players they've signed and maybe the lack of depth they've maybe got. But in terms of the, the coach... You know, I mean, you've got her and you've got Paul Koncheski, who's come from the men's game, for example, going into West Ham. And, you know, he's, he's an untried and, and tested option. You know, maybe her, her coaching know-how, you know, she's been on the England setup as well. Um, You know, maybe that'll be the difference. But she comes across as really, really, you know, clued up. And, you know, England, England youth coaches or England coaches have generally done very well in the Super League. So... You know, maybe there's something there and, you know, maybe we're being a little bit harsh on Leicester. I just feel like they're one club that kind of, like the ethos and everything about the club and, and how it's communicated and, you know, how they go about things is is really positive. I just I just kind of expected a little bit more from them, I, I suppose, to kind of see that sort of, I don't know, like just, just sort of kind of moving forward a little bit, I, I, I suppose. I just, I kind of thought... With everything that they've kind of been saying in in recent sort of months and stuff, it, I just thought that it would just translate a little bit more and come across a bit more in in terms of their summer. I thought it it might just be a little bit more positive in in terms of showing their intent. I suppose. Yeah, I think as I say, the signings. You know, if if you're down there, and, you know, let let's be honest, they played Birmingham away last season, and I think the Birmingham goalkeeper Emily Ramsey at the time got sent off, and it was rescinded, and Birmingham lost the game. But I think if they'd have won that game, there's a chance that they wouldn't have gone down and Leicester would have returned back to the second tier. So, yeah, there's a question. If they were that close to relegation, and let's be fair that Birmingham weren't a great side last year. Obviously, Darren Carter did a good job when he came in, but at times there were really there was a gulf between them and the rest of the league. So, you know, if Leicester were so close to that, you know, just by a kind of common sense, you'd look at that and you'd think, well, surely there'd be quite a change around in players. But... Their, their biggest signing, I would hope, would be the manager signing on permanently because, as I say, she just she just shines through. You know, when, when you speak to somebody, sometimes it just makes an impression. 
and you just feel that she's got a lot more to give to the Super League and you know she she could well bring out a lot more out of those players than what Leicester maybe thought they had initially um, so it'll be a fascinating watch, it, watch there because you know they are going to sink or swim but nobody really expects them to swim that well I don't think so yeah fascinating one I, I was looking through my notes from when we did this season preview uh, last season and we spoke a lot about Everton <laughs> um, now Everton we expected Everton to be one of the probably surprise packages of that season uh, and it didn't actually prevail <laughs> in that way and actually it was Tottenham who had the better start and again another team I feel that have uh, had a good summer uh, and gone out and and sort of got those players that you kind of feel that would bolster Tottenham um, in terms of probably goals, really, which I think is all that they really lacked last season in terms of helping them get the results that they they needed, really. Um, And it very much seems that they've gone out with the same sort of intent and addressed those sort of key areas. Do you think that Tottenham, again, are going to be one of those sort of teams that could potentially take points off of big sides? I think it's an interesting one because I think, um, you know, we saw Brighton have a really good season. I think their highest ever finish the previous season, you know, they were, I don't, I don't think, did they finish sixth? I think, I don't think they're as high as Spurs, but obviously last year replicating that at times, they maybe struggled a little bit. Um, I think they finished slightly lower, but it was hard to replicate it two seasons on the spin. Um, you know, with Spurs, I think Rianne's gone for experience there. Every Virtually every player they've signed, is a player who's really kind of established in the league and you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, they've got forwards this year, got a couple of forwards in. So, yeah, you're quite right there that, the, you know, maybe they will get more goals. Um, I don't know, with, with Spurs, I just feel like they've got their identity. Like, they know what they want. They know how they want to get there. Um, not every club's got that. You know, they're, they're unique. They know exactly what they want to do. They want to be kind of that physical team, the team who were di- difficult to break down, clinical at the other end of the pitch, um, you know, can be aggressive when they want to be aggressive. They're an, an interesting team to watch in the league. Um, they're not always the best on the eye, but they're just very, very good at what they do. Um, so if they keep their image and, you know, they keep the playing style, then, you know, I think there's every chance that they could replicate what they did. But I think pushing on, you know, fourth, third is going to be tough. It's always going to be tough. Uh, but again, they're another club who look like they've got the support of the men's team as well. And I suppose we need to talk about United. <laughs> um, another, you know, Mike Skinner, he's gone out and, you know, he's 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 brought a, some more experienced players in. Uh, obviously, Keats probably didn't have a great, you know, if you look at it on reflection, you know, she's not had a great um, season at Arsenal. You know, she's been brought in, obviously, to bolster the forward line of United and, and get some goals. Do you think this is a, a good opportunity for Nikita to to cement herself within a, a squad and, and get sort of regular playing time and, you know, become a key part of United going forward? I think this is a key season for Nikita Paris, to be honest. I think it really, really is. Because we know she had a tough time at Arsenal and she's not necessarily had an easy time with England. Um, 
you know, I, I thought against Austria, actually, when she came off the bench, I thought that was the best game she's had in, in an England shirt for as long as I can remember. I thought that was Nikita Paris back to her best. She then obviously started the other night. She got a goal, but was I overly impressed by her performance? Probably not, to be honest. I think, you know, you're playing Luxembourg and, you know, I just expected a bit more. I think I think finding what's best for Nikita as well is really important because, you know, I think she kind of played out wide the other night, but, you know, I, th- I thought she was more aggressive and more deadly from playing a little bit kind of more central against Austria. So, you know, you sometimes think of, of her as a wide player, but, you know, would she be better just with that kind of, with the skill and the pace, just running straight at the centre-backs and... You know, so I think Mark's got a job on. I think he's got to get the best out of Nikita and he's got to get Nikita happy and confident in what she's doing. Um, if he does that, he's obviously got himself a, a top England player, hopefully. Um, he's, he's signed a mix. Everything else he's got is, you know, there's some players who are kind of pros in the Super League. He's brought some players in from, from overseas. I think Myla Tissi will be a very good signing for them, a player who's obviously going to blossom at the back. Lucia Garcia is another one who... You know, I know United fans are excited about. Um, and I, th- I think they wanted depth this year. That's the message which is coming out of United. They wanted depth. Um, so, you know, some of the players maybe that he's brought in might be more squad players. Um, I don't think fa- United fans were too, I wouldn't say unhappy, but, you know, they the may be intrigued by Adriana Leon. But, you know, she's had a good international break and, you know, she was carrying an injury for a long period. So, now she's fit, we might see the best of her at United. So it'll be interesting to see what United do because, you know, we would like to see them be more competitive for third spot than last year. Obviously, City fans don't want me to say that. But um, I I was going to say, look, the reality is, is that they're pushing and, you know, they they were in and around those those top three spaces last season. And, you know, they believe that, that, that they can build on that and, and rightly so you know if you're that team you're going to believe and you're going to want to see your team in and around the same positions again and if not doing better so you know we have to up our game to ensure that we don't allow that to happen you know regardless of if it's United, Tottenham, whoever you know play teams are getting better you know you're starting to see you know the investment coming through and and you know teams getting stronger and it's it's only gonna get better you know if if we're gonna progress um you know that's what we'll continue to see so it's to be expected that you know teams like united teams like you know tottenham reading they're gonna compete and that makes for you know a more competitive league which i think we can all say last season was probably the one of the best seasons we've had in in terms of bringing that competitiveness and you know what's going to happen and the excitement around games was much much better last season. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's a ladder effect as well. You're, you, I suppose every club wants to be aiming to, for the next step on the ladder, and if you're not aiming for that, there's you know two or three championship clubs breathing down your neck, wanting to get in the league and not wanting to look back. Um, so you know we. From a city's perspective, you'll want to be pushing on for, you know, more trophies for second position, challenging top spot. You know, United are no different. You know, if, if they haven't got European qualification yet, what would it mean for that club to be playing in Europe next season for the first time? It would mean absolutely everything. Um, you know, for some of the lesser clubs to get in the top half, that would be a real sign of progress. So 
Um, you know, everybody's aiming for that. And I, th- I thought last year the league was really, really good. Um, but it just feels like, again, this year, everybody's invested in it um, and everybody brings something a little bit different to the league. So, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I think it'll be a really, really good season. Um, you know, as you say, there's so many clubs where, particularly in the bottom half, you don't really know how they're going to do. You know, there's there's probably a couple of spaces in the top half if teams perform really, really well. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see just which teams step up. But there's a requirement for everybody. I don't think you can stand still in this league anymore. I, I think that the quality is just getting better all the time. Yeah, I just remember that last day of the season being in the Majeski and and then the rumbling starting going around that United were winning against Chelsea. Last day of the season, and you know, potentially if United win that game, you know, it's a, a totally different end to to the season that you know you wouldn't have predicted. I know for uh, me to sit here as a City fan and say that is probably you know ridiculous, but as a neutral fan, it it keeps people more engaged as to you know what's going on. Yeah, I'm just glad to see those sort of games, sort of, and those sort of changes in terms of like the progression and in teams and stuff I think it's exciting I think it's we should be welcoming that uh, progression as well because you know you don't want Chelsea romping the league every season you know you want you want to see somebody pushing them you know if it's City if it's Arsenal it's it's been you know the last three three or four seasons now where you know Chelsea have continued to dominate and, you know, I don't want to be finishing third place this season. I want to be pushing hard. I don't want to be starting next season wondering if we're going to qualify the Champions League before we've even started. You know, we need to get top two um, if we can't obviously win it. Um, I, and I believe that we can do it regardless of what's happened across the summer. I believe in the players and I believe that, you know, we can get the results. You know, we're, we're quality side. We've got quality players. But realistically, for City, where should City be aimed, setting their sights this season? I mean, first and foremost, second, I think, look, Chelsea are there to be shot at. So, first of all, I'd, I'd love to see City and Arsenal take Chelsea on. Um, are either club there at the minute? I mean, you know, let, let's be fair. I mean, when Chelsea lost the likes of G in the summer and players like that, and they're in the middle of a, a takeover saga, you were thinking, well, hang on a minute. What kind of Chelsea are we going to see next season? That's exactly what I did. Yes, that is. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm sure, in the nicest possible way, every city fan had the fingers crossed that something that might not quite go right, that the club would come through it, but maybe, you know, they wouldn't go and sign two or three absolute steaming world class players over the summer. But obviously, that's happened. So they're, they're there to be shot at. Um, but for City, it's got to be progression, hasn't it? It's got to be, you've got to see that the club are heading in the right direction. So, you know, if, if you can beat Arsenal at that second spot, you know, maybe flirt with with Chelsea up there and put some pressure on and see what happens, then, you know, that that's a good season. Obviously, it's important that the club are winning trophies as well. So, you know, the two domestic cups are important, I think, as, as a sign that you're still heading in the right direction. But, yeah, I mean, from, from, from a kind of neutral point of view, I'd love to see a three-way title race where it's really, really exciting. Um, but you know, you, you just want to see steps forward, and you know that, that that depth. You want to see some squad depth shining through. You, you know, if you lose two or three players to injury, hopefully no more. But um, you know, you'd like to think that if you take a player out, you've got a player of equal quality to come in. 
And obviously last season it was it was really difficult with the injuries, but um you know the, the, there wasn't necessarily always that like for like kind of replacement. Um, so it does feel like they've got more depth this year. There are question marks in midfield, whether there's there's the depth in that area. But, you know, you, you just want to see that you can utilise your squad and, and and push on and have a more successful campaign than last year. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've had a few fan questions, so I'm all right to, to put those to you. We'll... Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to these. Get through them between us. A lot of... Obviously, questions are surrounding the the new players that we've brought in over the summer. Uh, Janet would like to know. Uh, just want to focus on the future now. I think as City fans, I think that's just what we need, where we need to channel our energies at the moment. We have potentially a great squad. Who do you think will stand out amongst the new signings? Janet saying she's looking forward to seeing Mary Fowler and and Dana. She thinks they'll have a a really big impact on the squad. Uh, once they've settled in, um, who are you looking forward to seeing, Dan? Well, I'd, I'd like to look at most of them in the cha- in the Champions League. To be fair, I think Dana really, really good, which is showing that Mary Fowler's only she might need a little bit of time to settle in. I think we maybe haven't seen the best of her yet. Um, our Harby, I thought was good in the Champions League. Um, as I say, it's a good job we did this podcast today because I think Hasegawa, I absolutely. Love her. I think she's she's going to be great. You know, the footwork is going to get fans off the seats. And, yeah. you know, she's not Kira Walsh. That's the first thing to say. She's not Kira Walsh and you can't compare it to Kira Walsh. But she'll bring something, I think, to the team that City fans haven't seen before. And that's quite exciting, I think. So, yeah, um, thankfully City signed her today. And, uh, yeah, I think she's going to be I, good. I've got to be honest, I was, I was kind of worried heading into it because I, I kept saying to you, Dan, we need to put it off. <laughs> we need to put it off. It's, I think we're going to make a signing, so we just need to hold off because I wanted to go in sort of like hoping that, obviously, with the announcement of Kira Walsh, that we sort of had a, a bit of a comeback, a, a bit of some good news, obviously, to follow, uh, obviously following the announcement. And, and it has come, and I, and I do believe that it is a really good signing. And especially when you sort of, get towards sort of like the final day, you know, deadline day, and you're thinking, oh, what are we going to do? Can we get something over the line? And I think we've delivered, basically, uh, which is always really pleasing, you know, that we've, we've managed to have, you know, the pull here in terms of getting, you know, a quality player in, who, like you said, is, is you know, tactically gifted um, and, and got absolute... Uh, mind-blowing skill set you know from what I've seen her do uh, on the ball so you know a player like that within your squad um, like you said it, it makes kind of like the football entertaining as well you know because you you kind of like looking for those sort of moments where you're just like wow uh, and she's one of those sort of players that can sort of wow fans too yeah she's as I say she's global that's what I like about it She's a player. She's a player who's come off the continent. Who's a little well, very different. You know, she's probably the only player of her type in the league. Um, but you know, it's moving towards that global product. You know, again, how many different countries do, is the is the Super League available to watching? You know, it's it just adds another kind of string to City's ball, something a little different from a different part of the world. But yeah, she's um, she is. There's not much of her, but. You'll you love every inch of it. 
and Shahan sent a message in and I actually replied to her on Twitter because I thought it was absolutely brutal and awful. <laughs> Probably more for me than for you, but he wants to know how I reacted when uh, Caroline Weir scored against City in the Champions League. Well, funnily enough, I, I was I actually couldn't watch the game and I was gutted because it's it's the first time I've never been able to watch a game and basically I was in when the game was being played, I was at Wembley watching Coldplay. <laughs> and they were actually live on stage whilst I was trying to follow the game. And I had a, I had my phone in my hand and I'm obviously watching a concert and it was absolutely incredible. And then I had a notification that obviously Real Madrid had scored. Uh, and I was like, oh. I'll be honest, it was I did swear. I wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> but then when I saw it, the notification come through that it was Caroline Weir, I was livid. I just thought, out of all the people, it just had to be Caroline Weir. And I, you know, when you just have one of them feelings heading into the game that if you know you're going to lose the game, you you don't want it to be Caroline Weir. And I think everybody probably had the same sort of sentiment heading into it. And obviously, to see it be Caroline, and then to get back to the hotel and kind of see the goal and see the celebration, it was just a little bit heartbreaking, but. Yeah, it, it's done now and I'm just going to put it to the back of my mind and I hope the players, the club and everybody else does the same. For me, I am gutted though because I do see it as a wasted opportunity at this point. You know, you can't do nothing about it. It's just we've got to use it as fuel to to do better and finish better in the league and so we don't put ourselves in this position again next season. It's just always going to happen. That's how, that's how I leave it. It was always going to happen. It always felt like it was going to happen. It felt like it was meant to be, but you were hoping it wasn't meant to be. And yeah, I wasn't. A, I'm not a city fan, so you know, the, the, I'll, I'll leave it into your side of it. The worst thing is, I tweeted. I think I tweeted, and I actually said, if we have this game done and dusted in fifteen, like fifty, because I think it kicked off at um, eight o'clock. Coldplay came on at quarter past eight. And I think I tweet, I made the mistake of saying, if City could have this game done and dusted in the first 15 minutes, that would be great. And then on 15 minutes, Caroline Wiss scored. And I'm just thinking, what? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it it was all right. But then I had Coldplay. So I, I, it, I kind of feel it was the, the best way to kind of, uh, to, to, you know, not think about it in that respect. <laughs> Uh, I think Dave sent one through and it is a good point, but I suppose it's one of those points that you could probably just talk about for ages. So um, what are Dan's thoughts on the fan structure of the WSL? Um, does he think that away fans should have designated away sections and should they be available to purchase through the club uh, for each specific game? Uh, obviously, this is a bit of a talking point at the moment, given the rise in sort of attendances um, and, and ticket sales. Um, so hopefully, you know, having away fans given accessibility to designated away ends. I read this question the other day, actually, and yeah, it got me thinking. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some games where you know that there's going to be a big away following. Um, so I don't know, you've got your Manchester derby or... You know, one of the Manchester clubs at Everton, for example, or, a, you know, a Manchester City-Chelsea game, you know, whether it be home or away. There's games where you could certainly allocate the away club an amount of tickets. I don't think that I don't think that would be doing anybody any harm or causing anybody any additional trouble by doing that. 
you know, even if you did it, you know, that there was, I don't know, 100, 200 pre-purchase tickets, you know, I think in the football league, you sometimes get a discount, a couple of quid off, or, you know, there's some kind of incentive for kind of buying them before you get to the turnstiles. So, you know, there's definitely something, there's an argument for it. Um, I suppose the other end of the spectrum, you could ask a question, you know, I don't know if West Ham were going to Man City on a Sunday night or whatever, you know, where they're not going to bring a lot of fans, would you then allocate them a segment in the se- in the stadium? Would you give them tickets to sell in advance? Is there any benefit of doing that through West Ham? You know, if they're only going to send, sell 10 tickets or something like that, um, you know, maybe less so, but I don't, I don't know. If, if, even if you had five, five rows of, you know, in that scenario, five rows of 10 seats and you give them, you know, 50 tickets to sell and they didn't sell them all and you just put the rest, you know, back to the ticket office or whatever, would there be any harm to do that? You've got everybody sat together and, you know, even if it is only a small group. So, yeah, I think it's it's something we need to look at. It's definitely something we need to look at. Obviously, the big games, you could, you know, allocate a, a, a space of a 1,000 tickets or whatever, you know, spurs away in their, their huge stadium that, you know, they're, they're not going to fill for a Super League game. You could easily give City, for example, or United the away segment of the the stadium. You know that they would for a Premier League club, and you know just sell it block by block or row by row, and, and see where you get. Um, so yeah, I think it, we need to look at it. We certainly in terms of the top, maybe four, five, six clubs, we maybe look at, need to look at it. Some of the long distance games, and you know, as I say, you could even offer small allocations. You don't have to give every club a thousand tickets or whatever. You could, you know, give them fifty tickets as as kind of the minimum cap or something like that. So, yeah, I think the important thing is fans want to sit with each other. You know, if Man City supporters club want to go away, you obviously want to sit or stand together and you know go as a group. Um, so yeah, it needs looking at. I don't think there's any harm at all in doing it. And, you know, you could always trial it with games involving the top, what you would see is maybe the top four or six clubs and and then maybe roll it out from there. I think one of the, the biggest bugbears of it all is that a lot of the times when you are purchasing these tickets, obviously you have to go directly through the opposition's club. And to do so, you have to register an account and then you end up getting all emails and <laughs> you know, it's stuff you're not interested in. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I can I can understand both sides of obviously the logistics of it, and you know the fan side of it. Um, but you know, as the day the game does continue to grow, which it will, it's one of those sort of things that there needs to be some sort of consultation on. I mean, this is there has been discussions because we had this last year. There has been discussions about. You know, if you turn up to X ground, do you know there's a game on? You know, is there a sign there saying that the team, you know, I don't know, Aston Villa at the Bank Stadium or, you know, Man United playing at Lee, you know, maybe not in the traditional kind of venue, if you like. You know, if you've got somebody going past, going past, you know, who maybe likes women's football but doesn't follow it religiously, might not actually know there's going to be a game on the following day or... Whatever, so that's been mentioned about making games visible, making tickets accessible has been mentioned. So it'll be interesting to see whether clubs find solutions to it. It feels like complicated, and you know all that kind of stuff. It's been mentioned, so you know when we do, you know, year two years on, 
something needs to be happening, I think. It needs to be easier. I mean, I looked on a club's website this week for a big big up-and-coming up game and it was nowhere near sold out. I couldn't buy a ticket. Why could I not buy a ticket? If the stadium's empty, why on earth could I not log on and see an available ticket? The ticketing system wasn't sufficient for, you know, an, an elite professional game of football or, or a professional sporting event. So, you know, we can't keep going on about these issues. It's, something's got to happen with it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it'll drive fans away. If you can't get a ticket, you know, and you live in, I don't know, the London area, for example, where you've got X amount of games going on, whether it be men's or women's, you're just going to go to another game if you can't get a ticket. It's it's just driving fans away. So, yeah, I completely agree that things need to be simplified. Things need to be put in kind of the fans' club's own hands, so to speak. And it's just got to be easier and it's got to be more visible as well for some clubs. Obviously, some clubs are better at it than others. I think that's about it. Is there... <laughs> I think we've kind of covered everything as best we can. Uh, obviously, the season does get underway shortly. Uh, and we're looking forward to it. Um, I can't wait to be back in the stadiums and and getting behind the team again. It, it almost feels as though the summer has just come and gone like ridiculously, <laughs> ridiculously fast. But we'll hopefully catch up again soon, Dan. But before you go, obviously FA Full Time Magazine. Uh, do you want us to tell us about the next edition and and where fans can pick theirs up? Yeah, we've got um subscriptions on sale at the minute we are digital this year just with cost of living and all that it's just not you know we don't think fans can afford to pay for it and equally it's it's difficult for us to produce at the minute in terms of costs of production so yeah if you go on our twitter feed at fawslft you'll find details on there or, or drop us an email but yeah we'll still be producing but it'll just be in that kind of digital format which hopefully we should get out quicker as well at the start of each month so there are some benefits to it. Brilliant. So uh, where can, if fans haven't got a subscription, where can they get theirs and and what are your socials so fans can get in touch? Yeah, so just uh, the easiest way really, drop us an email, fawslfulltime at gmail.com and I'll sort you out. Brilliant, Dan. Uh, Well, enjoy the start of the season and uh, as I say, hopefully we can catch up again later in the season and uh, see where we're up to. (laughs) That's how I'm going to put it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um, let's see what happens but uh yeah thanks so much for having us yeah all the best i'll see you soon city will now begin their season campaign away to aston villa on sunday at villa park the game will be available to watch live on bbc2 and bbc iplayer kickoff is 12 30 p.m and that's it for this week's episode thanks to dan for joining me we'll be back next week and this time we'll be getting the thoughts of the fans Have a great week, everyone. And if you are travelling down to the game on Sunday, have a safe journey and enjoy the game.